Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey folks, you know, I'm absolutely honored every time I get to do the show because I get to offer you information, which I hear you kind of like. I'm very pleased about that. People are writing and saying they're feeling good about the work. And also I get to bring people to you that I honor, that I respect, and who I think are really making a difference, who you can reach out to and find information about uh, books and things that they do that could be helpful to you and your spouse. So I am talking to one of these people right now, and his name is Dr. Eddie Caparucci. Good morning or good day to you, Dr. Caparucci. Dr. Rob, it's so wonderful to talk to you. I always enjoy our conversation. We just don't get a chance to talk enough, though. Well, we will make that happen, you know, now that we can travel a little bit more freely. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Caparucci before, and only a little bit. I'm going to ask him to talk about himself. But he's a licensed therapist. He's certified in the treatment of sex and porn addiction. He and his wife, Terry, and she's a blessing, I have to say, have a private practice working with men struggling with sex and porn addictions, really intimacy disorders, as well as their wives who are dealing with betrayal. He administers multiple websites for sex addiction recovery and porn addiction recovery, and I'm going to let him talk to that. He writes a lot of blogs. He has books out there. I mean, he's like one of those people who has dedicated himself to healing. First, he had to start with himself, and then he got to the rest of us. So welcome, Dr. Caparucci. Thank you again, and please call me Eddie. So Eddie, why do you think I invited you here? What is it about what you do that made me think, oh, I want to have a conversation with this guy? Now I'm put you on the spot, your ego on the spot. Well, I think what appeals to most people about my work is that I'm looking at both sides of the issue. I'm looking at couples versus just those who have betrayed. I think also the approach that I take from the idea that trauma, which I believe is a major player in all of this, because I do agree with you, we are talking about intimacy disorder here. This is not about sex. It never has been about sex, but yet that's the way sometimes it's been portrayed for people. So I think it's just the approach that I take in trying to not just deal with the sexual, problematic sexual behavior people have, but with the overall individual as well as the overall couple. 
So that's a great question. And by the way, you've written books, you do counsel. There's all kinds of stuff I'm going to ask him about, but I wanted to get into the meat of the question. And I know that there's a lot of different things we can talk about. Well, one of the things that come up, comes up for me so often in doing treatment is, you know, it's seeking integrity in the work that I do. I'm often involved with the beginning stages, getting people sober, going through the crisis, getting them on the right road. I think, you know, that is really my job. And then I hand them to people like you. And I say, here, Dr. Caparucci, help these people move forward in their lives. But you've talked about struggles that people have to move beyond just simple sobriety and actually get into the intimacy part that seems to be missing. And this respect in a coupleship that certainly is missing, at least from the perspective of the addict. How do you begin to deal with those pieces and put them together for the couple? First and foremost, what I do is I make sure that the men who have betrayed, and I know women do this also, so forgive me because I work exclusively with men, so therefore I may lean more to talking about men, is that I, I need men to understand that as they have another issue here. Okay, They are emotionally undeveloped. It's not, and that is part of what they've driven them to their addictive behavior. But, you know, Dr. Rob, I look at three different things. I look at, one, unresolved childhood pain point. Two, our inability to sit with emotional discomfort. And three, the sense that we are emotionally undeveloped. And I put all of those together. And what do I get? I get very frightened, scared people who can't sit with pain, who found the coping mechanism of escaping. You know, I was thinking of a term that we use in recovery called king baby. And I think it's this idea that I know everything, I'm running the world, I'm in charge, nobody really gets it like I do. And then all of a sudden, you realize how what a mess you are. And that underneath all that bravado is a lot of pain, a lot of trauma, a lot of hiding. And that the addiction isn't the only piece, it's this whole presentation that people give to the world. So you've got to break through that. And you also have to help a spouse understand that these are not bad people, they're broken people. So how do you help, especially with an angry spouse, make that transition without them saying, oh, you're just trying to make excuses for them? There, I go with the question, why? Why do I think, feel, and act the way I do? Because what I want people to do is to gain the insight to be able to better understand why have we seen this train wreck take place? Because I believe when people understand the answer to why, that they are empowered. And I think also what I've found is that when the spouse understands why, that that helps them to develop empathy. Okay, wait, I need to, to, to ask you a question. When the spouses uh, understand what, you said why. I'm saying why. Why have you done this? Why do we continue to do it? Why is there this issue that has seeped into my marriage? Okay. And why, here's, I'm going to add to that, it's such a big one. How can you say you love me and do this at the same time? Correct. Exactly. So therefore, and they're all great. And there's, there's a great question that they're asking, right? They're amazing. But for finding out the answers to why, as I said, it gives the spouse a chance to have empathy. Okay, I can understand. I see the brokenness of what happened when you were younger. However, what I also tell them is a point that you made before. None of these 
are excuses. What they are is simply a rationale. We still need to take responsibility for the behaviors and the damage that we cause. So that, that's where I start with that whole process. Why does sex have a stronghold on my life? And what we come to find out in most cases is because of an emotional intimacy disorder. I'm so empty and I'm terrified to fill myself up in the way that healthy people do. I don't know. I don't know how to fill myself up the way other people, healthy people do. I think that's part of it too. Well, that's what I think partners and spouses are so frustrated about. And, you know, I talk to the, the, the guys like, you know, you have an entire banquet behind you, but you're on the floor picking at crumbs. And the family and the spouses say, but wait a minute, here, I'm the banquet. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting right here and all of our loved ones, you're not even looking at me. And that's what I really wanted to talk to you about is sobriety can change. I can stop acting out. I can go to 12-step meetings. I can, you know, get some sobriety under my belt. But I so often hear over and over again, you know, he or she is sober, but they're still kind of a jerk. And in other words, I'm not getting the compassion, the empathy, the being valued, these spouses are saying, that I thought would come when they stopped their acting out. And that, I think, is a real piece of expertise for you, is how do people come to terms with building the intimacy that they have, in some ways, never had. All right. And that's what led to the book, Why Men Struggle to Love, Overcoming Relational Blind Spots. Oh, wait, did I not tell you guys that he wrote a book? Okay. I just <laughs> want to say what it is, just so you hear it. No, it's really, really good. Actually, you, have a, you wrote a book called Going Deeper. Right. How the Inner Child Affects Your Sexual Addiction. Correct. Um, you wrote a book called Removing Your Shame Label, Learning to Break Free of Shame and Feel God's Love. And Correct. now, and the last book is... Why Men Struggle to Love, Overcoming Relational Blind Spot. And that's exactly what we're talking about. That's right. That's exactly what we're talking about. Because it was based on my talking with the spouses who were saying exactly what you just said. Okay, he says he's no longer doing X, Y, and Z. However, these other behaviors that are very hurtful to me and our family, which he was doing before, like not paying attention to us, being too busy with his work, you know, the different things that go on, not being compassionate, not being understanding, those are still there. Selfishness. Right, selfishness. So if I'm still seeing these behaviors when he's in front of me, why should I believe him that he's not doing this other stuff that he says he's no longer doing? So that's where it came. That's where the whole book originated. And it starts off with talking about how is it that these men wound up becoming emotionally undeveloped. And that's a point that I've heard you made before is this idea of being emotionally undeveloped. It's interesting you say that because when I wrote Out of the Doghouse, and it's a book about cheating, it's not mm -hmm. just a book about sex addiction, it's about men who cheat. And one of the things that I wrote about is, you know, what do you call a man who cheats? A sex addict can say, well, we have pathology, we have illness. But you call someone who cheats ill, and what I call them is immature. Mm -hmm. that they don't understand the meaning of what they have or how to keep their mind in the relationship rather than running off by themselves. So what do you see as being emotionally undeveloped? What I see is we go back to in our early stages of childhood development, 
there are certain things that we're supposed to be walked through, that we're supposed to be guided through, that we're supposed to be taught by parents or caregivers that will help us to learn how to emotionally connect and bond. For example, one of them, trust. I learned how to trust. How do I learn to trust? Well, a child learns to trust when he can wander away from a parent, but then look back and know the parent is still there. That's trust. We're supposed to learn how to emotionally regulate. Okay, Children have all these emotions that are coming at them, and they don't have words for them. They don't know how to deal with those. And parents are supposed to put the word to it, but also instruct on how to deal with, deal with all of them. And also to demonstrate that. Yes. You know, I know I grew up in a family where if I got upset, my mom got more upset. So Uh, what was the point in asking for help when I was only going to have to do caregiving anyway? So I learned not to ask for help, not to reach out because it was going to end up I wasn't going to get it. And that hurts. So I think that's part of what you're talking about, right? That's exactly what I'm talking about. We move on to empathy. Okay, learning, okay, to be able to understand how someone else is feeling, what they're going through. Attunement, another one, but I think one of the most important elements that we're supposed to learn in that day, which people who deal with addiction do not know, is how do I sit with emotional discomfort or distress? Because if I can't do that, think about it as a kid, right? Let's say perhaps, I'll give you a quick example. You were playing with one of your friends and he broke your Nerf gun. And you go home to your dad because you're upset and you say, Dad, you know, Bobby broke my Nerf gun. I'm really upset. And dad, instead of comforting you, trying to reassure you, look, those things happen. Instead, you get, what did I tell you about lending your kid to somebody else, your toys to someone else? What the hell is wrong with you? Do you know how much money that gun cost me? You are a friggin' idiot. You never get anything right that I tell you to do. Go to your room. You disgust me. And now the kid goes to his room, not just the pain of the gun, the toy being broken, but also the pain that my father's disappointed in me. And this is all my fault. So what does this kid do with this thing? Well, he doesn't have a lot of worldly experiences. And he also is more emotionally based in his thinking than cognitively based. So he comes up with the one solution. It's an amazing solution for a child. I won't think about it. I won't think about it. And how do we do that? He distracts himself. Too much food. Fantasy. 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 Too much television. All of that. Exactly. And now he takes that same coping mechanism into his teen year and his adult year. And now we have people, what I call runners. We run from the pain. And how do we run to the pain? To whatever it is that comforts us. And if I stumble across porn or sex at an early age, and I find, oh my God, this is the mother of all distractions. Now I'm set up for life to just be dealing with this type of problem. Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this Sex, Love, and Addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com. That's seekingintegrity.com. 
or call us at 747-234-4325. I appreciate how well you explain the relationship of trauma and we're, you know, as I said to you earlier, before we got on the air here, that so many of what the partners and spouses tell me is, yeah, I was upset about the sex and it devastated me. But what was even harder was for years, I felt lonely for years. I felt like I wasn't being treated well for years. I felt like I've had two little kids, but with my husband or, you know, I had three. And so, you know, I think that stopping the addiction doesn't necessarily address all those pieces, but therapy doesn't either. You know, I've spent a whole bunch of time in therapy and I can tell you every way that I'm a jerk. I can tell you all the ways, but learning how to be different is more of a commitment. And this is a great question for you. How do you get somebody, some of the addicts I know can be a little stubborn. How do you get someone to go from, it's not my fault. Yes, I have this problem, but you know, work is the problem. My wife's or my boyfriend, whatever it is. How do you get from them from there to, you know, I have a deficit. I am emotionally underdeveloped. How do you have them move to that space without getting angry or defensive or yeah. How do you do that? Well, you know what? I may, maybe I'm just lucky, but because the one thing that I have with these guys, and first and foremost, the one thing I do say to all of them is the big problem we have is that you're emotionally immature. And I have never had a single man who said to me, are you out of your mind? Or how could you dare talk to me that way? They've all said, I agree. I agree with that. For me, in getting that man to move, it becomes the idea of, what do you want in your life and what do you want for your legacy? Are you going to stop thinking short term and you're going to start thinking long term? What do you want for your boys, your daughters? What do you want them to be able to experience when they grow up? You know, and if through that, and also the idea of do you want to continue with the pain that you've been causing your wife and your family and others. And I get them to that place where they then say, yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right. I want something different because what you've been going through, the craziness, because I know I've lived through the craziness. You've lived through the craziness, Dr. Rob, you know, and you reach a point when it's like, uh, I, I'm disgusted. I'm so disgusted with myself and who I am. And I don't even want to be, I don't even want to be involved in this, but I don't know how to quit. So therefore I'm like, I'm here to help you. We use the term sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I think that's what you're saying. Yeah. But I wrote down a couple of questions for you about all of this. So I want to be a spouse. Well, let me go back to the one that's most immediate, which is about single people. Now I know like you do that if I'm working with someone who has kids, By the way, this is a therapy secret, so pretend you didn't hear this if you're listening. But, you know, one of the fastest ways that I can get to a man's heart is not by talking to him about his or her spouse because, or about their spouse, whatever the gender, because um, they're so tired of hearing it. Oh, they've said this, and I'm so tired, and they're always nagging and complaining. But so I don't get anywhere with that. But when I say, I'm worried about your kids. And I'm worried about what they're learning from you and watching you and experience and what do you want for them? Then I'm able to reach kind of what you would call the inner child because it is a reflection of their own children. And I do think that's one of the ways in. 
But what do we do very briefly? I just wanted to with people who don't have kids, with people who maybe aren't in a relationship, they're single and they come in and they have a porn problem, but they've never really developed intimacy. What motivates those? How do you motivate those people? Well, let me say that there are many people who come in, they have the problem, they're already motivated for whatever reason. But for those who are not motivated, who are coming in, let's say their girlfriend bringing them in, they don't have that. You've said the family or anything like that. For those who are not motivated, then it becomes the idea of, okay, so let's talk about what is the benefit that they're bringing into your life, okay? What are the negatives that it may be bringing into your life? Which ones outweigh the other, okay? So therefore, again, you know, we're trying to go back into using, you know, emotional, uh, motivative interviewing to see if we can try to get people to think differently about the current circumstances, to be able to look at it from a different point of view than they're currently looking at it right now. And in some cases, in some cases, if it doesn't work, you know that, I know that. And the people, they like, now I'm not doing that, and they're gone. What you said just now, I think, is really essential, which is the word motivation. And I say this to every client and every family member I've ever met. I have I have most of the tools to help you heal. I know most of you. And if you're willing to take them on and commit to them, man, your life's going to get better. I have a lot of hope for you. But the one thing I can't create is the desire to change, the desire to get well, the motivation, because it's such a large commitment. And you're right. I think one of the saddest and most difficult things about our work is that it takes the threat of loss and the threat of losing the things that are important to me to get people to you know, say, wow, that's important. I never paid attention. I just thought it would always be there. But now I realize I could lose it and I'm going to get to work. But I want to play devil's advocate with you for just a second, okay? And then we're going to get into the book. I want to talk about the, the steps that people can take, the things they need to look at. Uh, you are going to be here for a little while. But I'm going to be a spouse for a second. I'm going to be a partner, okay? And I just listened to this bunch of the podcast. And I heard you say, and, and this is what I heard, because this is where I'm at. I'm angry, and this is the way I heard it. Okay, another person who's blaming his childhood. Another person who says, you know, oh, well, it's all in his past and that, you know, it's his parents' fault or he didn't leave. I don't care. What I care about is uh, our family has been ruined. I've been ruined. And you're asking me now to have compassion for things that happened to him or her 35 years ago. How about the compassion for me in our lives? So I, I'm sure that you get this message from various spouses. How do you respond to that when you're trying to build their empathy? I have tremendous compassion and my heart breaks for what you've gone through i wish that you'd never were put in this position and frankly you know what you never had a chance because i could trade you out with any other woman in the world and he would have done the same thing but what we're trying to do here right now is again i'm not trying to make excuses but i need to get to the root of the problem because if not if i'm just going to try to use behavioral method to get him to fix this, we're just kicking the can down the road. So what I'm trying to do is understand, again, what is at the core? And that's why we're going to go deeper, to understand those points. Now, that being said, okay, he ultimately is going to have to be responsible for his behavior moving forward. There is no more hurting you along the way. All I need you right now is to put some trust in me 
and in my process and what I do, because I'm telling you that, you know what, although he's my client, my allegiance lies with you because I will never hand him back and say, hey, let's start reconciling until you tell me, until I tell you, yes, and I see and I say the his risk of acting out, I believe, is low. That's what I would tell them. That's what I do tell them. And I do think you're right by by helping people see that you're not making excuses, that you're saying, I want you to have empathy but you, this still happened to you, and you get to have your feelings about it. You know, is the road, and I know that it's hard to have compassion at the beginning because all you're feeling is your own hurt. And I think that's why addicts need compassion from other people, from the folks in my twelve-step program, from the folks in my therapy groups. Those are the people who can have compassion to me, for me, when my spouse does not. One of the things I really admire you, and I'm going to call you Dr. Eddie, you can call me Dr. Rob, is this idea of emotional underdevelopment. <laughs> and I would imagine there are stages, there are signs, there are symptoms, there are, there's a list of things that you could give us that would help us understand and identify what needs to be worked on. Do you have some thoughts about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you go back to what I was saying earlier, those early stages of childhood development, so now we don't get those, okay? So I don't know how to emotionally engage and bond. I get older, and as I get older, and I don't know what emotional intimacy really is, I don't have a very high emotional IQ. So what I'm most likely going to do, if I, especially if I stumbled across pornography, if I am going to mistaken emotional intimacy for physical intimacy. I want to stop there because most people think, when I use the word intimacy, uh, until they've really worked on this, they think sex. Intimacy means sex. It means lying in a bed and having sex. That means we're being intimate. That's not what you're talking about, right? No, it's not what I'm talking about at all. I mean, physical intimacy is one component of a relationship. But the base for what a relationship should be is emotional intimacy. And then what we'll do, we'll sprinkle physical intimacy in to actually take that emotional intimacy and to reinforce it. But if I confuse the two, Dr. Rob, What's going to happen is I am going to have this mindset that, oh, the only time I really feel connected is when someone is being emotionally engaged with me. I think this is new ground for many of the people that we work with because they're so familiar with, and not only, I'm sorry, I didn't finish that sentence. They're so familiar with conflating sex and intimacy. And, you know, I know some men who sadly will say, or their spouses will say that they were demanded of to be sexual, you know, by this, you've got to be sexual, we're married. And and what they've come to realize is they're demanding to be loved. They're demanding for attention. There, It really isn't, isn't the sex, but they don't know how to ask for the intimacy they were talking about. Well, all they know is how to do is, is get laid, even with a spouse. Yeah, the word that appears in my book so often is oblivious. We're oblivious to the fact of what we're really seeking. And again, what are we seeking? That emotional bond and connection. So therefore, again, why would you continue if I don't have that, if I, if I 
life is based on a relationship that are physical, you know, that's going to lead us to continue to acting out because we're never getting what fills the void. And that is emotional connection. And you're saying that we never get that because we've run from it and what it meant to us when we were younger, which was a lot of emptiness. I think there's two things. One, we do run from it, but in many cases, we're not taught what emotional intimacy is. We don't see the model, perhaps at home. We don't go through those stages of emotional development. So with that, I don't know what it means to be emotional. Okay, wait, I have to stop you for a second. Isn't this typical of men, though? Because I do think that many, many women get exposed to and have some understanding, and it may be more compassionate and empathic than many men. But men don't get this in general. It isn't just those of us who go through trauma, right? Right. And that's why the name of the book, Why Men Struggle to Love. And Uh it is not just about trauma. It is about sometimes neglect. Mm. For example, a parent, parents who don't, let's say they don't have emotional IQs. Let's say they don't Mm -hmm. have a good strong emotion like you, how are they going to pass that on to their kid? Or you have a father who demands that their that their boys be tough, rough, mm-hmm. and tumble mm-hmm. boys. They are going to be major athletes out there in their community. That they're going to be respected. They're, they're teaching them the wrong message. So therefore, they're afraid. Those kids grow up, and as men, they're ashamed to feel anything. They're ashamed to express emotion. So therefore, again, they withdraw, but yet there's still the hunger Mm. to have that emotional connection. They just don't know it. So lots of sex, drugs, alcohol fills the emptiness of what is right in front of me and I could have if I only felt safe enough and comfortable enough to reach out to it. I mean, addictions are controllable. You know, as out of control as people on the outside see addiction, for me, it allows me to control that hunger that you're talking about and that instability that you're talking about. I found a way to to shut up the hunger and to feel more stable, even though it looks crazy to you. It seems to work for me. And that is the crux of it, to help people learn that they're not really supporting themselves. They're not really getting what they need and want. It, it's just pouring water into a sieve. Yeah, I love the way you just described all of that. That was perfect. Well, thank you, Eddie. (laughs) I appreciate that. You can hang around all day. You can do podcasts (laughs) with me. You feed my ego, go right ahead. No, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, it's just that that again, we, we don't know what we don't know. Okay, I don't know what I don't know. For me, if I was growing up as a womanizer for all these years, I just thought that's what I was. I was a, shirt, a skirt chaser. And my dad was a womanizer, right? Okay. Or whatever you want to call that. Well, and my, and my friend gave me that label, mm-hmm. skirt chaser, and I wore it with pride. But then what do I come to understand when I finally said, I, I, I've had enough. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm. I find out, oh, I have an attachment disorder. I'm going to avoid an attachment I'm like, what? What in the world is that? Well, guess what? That's what happens when when you're five and your dad dies suddenly and your mother has a nervous breakdown and you, get shipped, and you get shipped out to relatives that you don't know for a year. And then you come back and mom has to go off to work and you have two older sisters who really don't want to raise you. So they send you to your room all the time to play by yourself. 
you develop an attachment disorder with the mindset of the people who love you will leave you. The people who love you will hurt you. So therefore, at 16, you start dating. You have one foot in, one foot out. I never fully invest in any relationship Mm. because there's the underlining subconscious fear that I will be abandoned. And no one ever abandoned me from from a relationship standpoint other than what happened with my dad and my mom at that point. So please, that's what we're talking about. I didn't know any of this when I was off running around. If I did, perhaps I could have probably changed dramatically. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help open people's eyes to see what is at the root of their disorder. And I, the word faith comes to mind because I have to have belief. Many of the men, I guess, that I wanted, and women, I mean, this is not defined by sexual orientation or gender, but many of the folks that I work with, you know, they don't want to be these people. They don't want to, in fact, when they hear what the loved ones have to say, they say, is that me? Do I do those things? They don't even see it. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term, effective, intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.